I remember when my wife and I discovered we would have our first child. We laughed, we cried, and after the excitement settled a bit, after we informed the family about the news, we started preparing for the entire experience. We bought things for the room and we assembled them. We bought baby clothes and we folded them. We even bought books that we imagined that we would eventually read to the baby. And those were all good times. In those days, we thought about how the child would look like. If the child would remind us of ourselves or our parents or our grandparents. We thought about things like, would the child love to be in nature like my wife and I? Or would the child prefer to be home reading books and doing, you know, artsy things? But all of these little things were just that. They were um, little things. Uh, what truly mattered to us then and what still matters to us today is how our child would live. Would the child be humble, forgiving, patient, faithful? Would the child be loving? Would the child grow up to turn the other cheek and place others in greater importance than oneself? Would our child grow up to be kind? So Jesus spent his entire life on this earth, teaching his disciples through word and deed, how God wanted his children to be like, how God wanted his church to be like, how God wanted them to trust him as Jesus did, how God wanted them to look at others the way Jesus did, and how God wanted them to believe in his love like Jesus did. So for Jesus too, what truly mattered when he looked at his disciples, when he imagined his church, was truly how all of them would live. He even came to the point of telling the Pharisees that the kingdom would be taken away from them and be given to a people that produced its fruit to enforce the point that the way we live is more important than the things we say about God and about Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I do want to talk about how God wants his children to be like, and the ending of the Gospel of Matthew can help us understand that in a beautiful and provocative way. Matthew 26 frames the final scenes of the life of Jesus around the feast of the Passover. The feast was established back in the day before the Exodus. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for many years, as all of you know. And God shows up to this man called Moses and tells him it's time to go, to free the people from empire, from leaders who only seek technology and progress at the expense of cheap labor and of human lives. And after a fierce confrontation between God and Pharaoh, God tells Moses and the people to celebrate a feast. A feast that they would end up celebrating throughout their entire lives and history. And a feast that would remind them not only of the faithfulness of God, but the deliverance from bondage in Egypt that was performed by this God who was faithful. And this feast was called the Passover. And the irony in the story of the Passover is that the feast was not celebrated after they were delivered, but before would make much more sense for them to celebrate their freedom from bondage after they were freed from bondage. But God told them to celebrate it before, while they were still in the land of their bondage. And the question is why? Maybe the answer is because God wanted them to have the kind of faith that lives the now 
in anticipation of what is to come. God wanted them to taste freedom before it happened, to live the future in the present by faith. And this is the key to understand the meaning, in fact, of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus announced from the beginning to the end of his ministry. This is the key to understand the Lord's Prayer. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus lived to express just that, how the present must be shaped by the future kingdom. Jesus fed the poor because in the future there would be no hunger. Jesus raised the dead because in the future there would be no death. And now the church picks up where Jesus left off. We live and move and announce the kingdom as we anticipate it in the present through word and deed. Now, why am I bringing all of these things up? Well, because as Jesus in Matthew 26 celebrates the Passover with his disciples, and as he reminds them the importance of celebrating their deliverance before it happens, a greater deliverance, not only from bondage to people, but the bondage from sin through bread and wine. Jesus reminds all of them and all of us that this is precisely how God wants his children in his church to be like. People who anticipate the future into the present. People who see in every need in the faces of the little ones and those who suffer opportunities to anticipate that future kingdom into the present. But there is a great twist in this story of Matthew chapter 26. As the disciples and Jesus finish their meal, as they walk with Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane, they are certain that as in the Exodus, deliverance would happen next. They were sure that they were walking into their freedom, but it is in this moment of hopeful anticipation that Jesus turns to them and says these hard words, You will all fall away because of me tonight. What a twist. Why would Jesus even say that? Our modern ears cannot handle that kind of talk. Imagine if Jesus showed up to our congregation, to your congregation today, and said, you will all fall away because of me tonight. How would we react? What would be our response? Would we even understand these words? And the danger here is obviously to think that we are beyond such risk, that that was the experience of the disciples, but if it was us, it would have been different. What a danger. So how would we know? What do these words mean? Jesus said these hard words because he knew that the disciples, as the religious leaders of the time, had their own version of what they wanted the will of God, Messiah, and kingdom to be like. They wanted a kingdom of power, of victory, of honor, a kingdom where they would have authority and visibility, and an authority that comes from visibility. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew their heart. And this is precisely why he said they would fall away. In fact, the Greek word for falling away is the word we use for scandal. They would all be scandalized. That is what Jesus is telling them. So the disciples will fall away because their visions of the will of God, of Messiah and kingdom, that granted them some form of authority and visibility in their mind, would disappear as Jesus was to be condemned and as he would die the embarrassing death on the cross. 
It will all be scandalized, Jesus says, because of Jesus himself. Because the path of Jesus is not what they think it is. They will be scandalized because instead of power, the way of Jesus is about weakness. Instead of victory, the way of Jesus is the way of the cross, of defeat for the other. Instead of honor, the way of Jesus is about shame. Jesus wanted his disciples and his church to understand a very precious truth. A truth that as we embrace the possibility of that scandal, that as we meet Jesus there in his shame, that we would finally all understand how God wants his children to be like. Children that looked like Jesus himself, the one who was the object of violence, the object of violence, of shame. Those who, because of unity with Jesus, would learn to feel comfortable around those who are also ashamed, abandoned, and forgotten. So we are all under the risk of being scandalized, of falling away. Why, you might ask, because all of us, just like the disciples and the religious leaders of the past, all of us have personal visions about the will of God, about the Messiah and about the kingdom that are at odds with the way of Jesus. Modern Christianity is one that loves power, victory, and honor. Modern Christianity has, to some extent, merged the vision of Jesus' kingdom in, in its implications for today with the visions of political power and the impulses of empire that are still all around. But the kingdom of Jesus announces, announces that it does not come with external signs. You cannot say it is here or it is there because it is within us. It is a kingdom that is marked by weakness, shame, and defeat, especially as we embrace those whose society has pushed to the corners, when we eat with the marginalized, when we protect the vulnerable and the disinherited, when we visit the widows and the orphans and all who suffer, and when we protect them, as the author James would say later, from the corruption found in this world. And this is the path of Jesus. This is how God wants His children to be like, how He wants His church to be like. So the question is, will we be scandalized or will we carry our cross and follow Him in that path of shame? <laughs>